Well, isn't it great? Have a look around and see all the decorations. They've got a great set up here for tonight. I don't know what it's all about, but uh, it was nice to see Bruce playing the piano by the fireside. I thought that was cool, wasn't it, eh? I thought that was quite nice. <laughs> hey, just uh, a few practical things related to Christmas. And every year, precious come on people. And uh, this year will be no exception. There are many, many different kinds of precious that come. And uh, it helps us to identify them and just to consider how you all deal with them. Pressure is a part of life. Jesus said there's pressure in the life, pressure in the world. But we just need to understand, for some people, the pressure is financial. And uh, you don't need a lot of money to make Christmas a happy time. The pressure is a pressure from the world to conform to what it says Christmas is about. And so there's a pressure often comes on finances to spend far more than we can afford. And you've just got to make a decision, actually, my finances are part of my life and they're part of my stewardship with God. And I don't have to yield to that kind of pressure. So negotiate your way through it. Talk it and talk down the presence. Talk down the expenditure. Make the focus on building your experiences together rather than on the gifts. Gifts come, gifts go. You don't even remember the gift you got mostly. And there's a huge pile that's overdone many times. And often people are in tremendous debt for about a quarter of the year or longer after Christmas. You don't need to be. You just need to say no to debt, no to overexpenditure. We're going to set what we're going to spend, and then we'll stick within it. And, uh, and sometimes we'll just set just very small gifts. And uh, when you get small gifts, a couple of dollars or under $10 or something like that, uh, uh, that's made it really, really quite simple. Remember, the joy of it is in the giving yourselves one to another. God so loved us, he didn't give us a Christmas tree with lots of gifts. He gave us a person. So the real gift at Christmas are the people, other people in your life. So if you find ways to honor and celebrate together, that's what really makes a great Christmas. And just to, don't get caught up with this pressure. You've got to buy, 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 buy. And uh, uh, related to that, uh, some of you get your wages. You get a big bulk sum before Christmas. Remember, it's got to go right through. Don't just look at it and think, I've got this lot of money. Wow. <laughs> you know from all the rest of the year that the lot of money actually doesn't go very far, and it only goes so far. So just remember that uh, and manage your finances well. So you still honor God and you still work within whatever budget you got. Second area that comes up with pressures and problems is family. And uh, for many people, family is wonderful. For others, family is a nightmare. And uh, that's just the realities of life. And for some people, family is a time, family, Christmas time is a time when you have terrible grief over the loss of someone in the family. So people's experience of family is incredibly varied at Christmas time. So you have to work through that. So if there's unresolved issues in family through the year, they almost certainly will surface around Christmas when you're all on holiday. So one of the things you, you, can, you can do to handle that is manage the expectations. Again, you don't have to do what everyone wants. Just work out what's going to work for you. For example, for my mum, you know, Christmas, if you, if you weren't there for Christmas dinner in the middle of the day, you weren't there at all. I said, well, we come in the evening. No, it was all set. So we had to manage the expectations. And uh, sometimes you just got to negotiate with two families how this is all going to work out. But just work your expectations out and be flexible. And you find if you're just so demanding like that, it puts a huge pressure on. I've known of some couples in terrible strife because one family and the other family all got the same pull on them for the same time. Just talk it out, work out and stand together as a couple of what you're going to do and then negotiate it. And if people don't like it, they don't like it too bad. You, you just got to walk through that kind of thing. Otherwise, the season, which is supposed to be celebrating, ends up pulling everyone apart, and you end up in strife and conflict. We don't need that. 
Uh, and if there are difficulties or tension, sometimes it's helpful just to make an exit. <laughs> just take the kids and go out somewhere. So many times it's important just to set certain boundaries. Now I know some of the families, and I know that for you to have your family in, it's likely to be a nightmare. So just set clear boundaries about what will work for you and hold the boundaries. Uh, for some of you, having family is a great joy. You don't need to do that at all. You just need to make sure you don't overstay. And uh, um, the other area is the pressure of friends. And uh, friends, the, the friends issue is usually an issue around parties and around, uh, for younger people particularly, it's the issue of alcohol. And uh, it, people go to the parties and you end up making, doing crazy things, saying crazy things. Uh, you've really got to just decide ahead what you're going to do in these different places. I know some of you have just uh, made a total abstinence from alcohol and others have uh, made a different decision. But whatever decision you make, that's your decision. But the Bible talks about drunkenness and what it brings. So just again, if you know you're getting, I've observed with parties that you can go to them and, be, and have a great deal of fun and a great deal of life. And then it gets a certain edge on it when it's starting to go off. That's the time you say, hey, I've had a great time, I'm away. And if you can just get out before things go off, it's a great help. Uh, the other pressure comes on, on, on relationships, the area of sexual sin. It's a big issue, and one, one night can cause years of regret. So again, you've just got to make your decisions and don't find yourself in those kind of places where these things can happen. I think the big thing is we keep the main thing the main thing, which is God gave a wonderful gift, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. So let's enjoy our time together, and remember that it is all about Jesus and about who he is and what he is and loving him getting ready for the next year. So we've got, who's got something to thank God for this year, eh? Man, we've all got something to thank God for. I want you to open your Bible with me. I want to share with you just something out of uh, Mark chapter 6. You know the story, but I want, to, I want to just inspire us because as we're leaving this year, coming to next year, new opportunities, great new opportunities, and I want to just stir us up to stretch out. And uh, the apostles, verse 30, uh, gathered together to Jesus and told them all the things that he had done, they had done and what they had taught. So they come out and give them feedback. And he said, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest. For there are many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them going, <laughs> and many knew where they were going, and ran on foot from all the cities and arrived before them. So they thought they could take a leisurely boat trip along the, the coast and get to a place where they had a bit of a break. But of course, the boat was in view all the time, and it's just a leisurely trip, very nice trip. And so the crowd just followed them all around. So uh, they get around there and all the crowd there. And Jesus came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Every believer has an assignment from God. There's not any person here that's a believer in Jesus Christ that does not have a work God called you to do. Every believer. The Bible says he's created us for good works. That's a multitude of things which make up God's plan for your life. And they involve us corporately together. They involve us individually. No one else can work out your assignment for you. So God calls you to fulfill an assignment. And, and every part of us, every one of us responsible to discover what it is, make ourselves available to fulfill it, and then develop capacity and the gifting. So you're all responsible to do this. And every one of us uh, is on a, an apprenticeship for an eternal kingdom. We're in an apprenticeship for eternity. So what we do now does count in eternity. A lot of people think it doesn't really matter what you do, you're saved, going to go to heaven. Listen, that is such a deception. There's far more than that. 
God is preparing us for a kingdom. He's preparing us for an eternal kingdom, preparing us for a millennial reign of a thousand years. He's preparing every believer. And what you do now has a vital impact on your uh, choice or how God uses you in, these coming, uh, uh, in the coming millennium. Every one of us is called to prepare for eternity, not just to cruise by a life of compromise, a life that's without passion, without focus, without any kind of energy. We're not called for that. We're not called for that. We're not called for that. There's something bigger inside us. We've got to stand up and say, God, in 2012, it's a new year. I will discover and fulfill what you call me to do in that year. Now, in this in this situation here, I want us the first. I want to share several lessons, several things you can get out of this passage here. First one is learn to look outside to the harvest of souls. If you have a look at the the story here, notice what's happened. The disciples are exhausted. They've just had a big ministry trip. They come back. They're tired out. Anyone has ever done that? And you've had lots, hundreds of people to pray for, and you come back. You know you're absolutely exhausted, drained out physically, drained out emotionally. Second thing you notice is they were so busy with the current pressures, no time to eat. So there was no time to rest, no time to eat. How many think I'd love to just have a bit of a rest? You're ready for it right now. End of the year, get ready for it. That's what the disciples were even more so. They wanted a rest. They wanted time to eat. They wanted a break desperately. And they had earned it. They really did earn it. They really did earn it. And Jesus' plan was to give them such a break. He saw their needs. But uh, as often happens, and of course the, thir- the third thing that was a problem was emotional pressure, that John the Baptist, their friend, had just died. He was the greatest prophet since the days of Elijah, and he just had his head taken off. Now, if you've had, for Jesus, that was his cousin. So even Jesus himself is physically tired, emotionally tired, got grief to cope with. He's got a whole range of things. He's got the pressure of the crowd. Even he's saying, let's get away and let's have a break. Let's have a holiday. Let's shut down. But you notice the crowd followed him. The crowd followed him. So here's the second thing. So first thing is you need to look outside to the harvest. There is a harvest of people desperately needy. Notice multitudes came, and he said he saw them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They were vulnerable to spiritual attack. They had all kinds of spiritual problems, all kinds of natural problems. They had many conflicts going on. And I want you to see that Jesus saw and was moved with compassion. I want you to see what happens to the disciples in a moment. God is full of compassion. In fact, compassion is a core value in heaven. Compassion. I'm not seeing feeling sorry for people. Compassion is a core value in heaven. The Bible says God is full of compassion. Compassion means you have sensitivity in your heart to the plight of others. That when someone presents themselves that is in pain or has a need, you're not hardened and insensitive and dismissive of them. You actually have a heart for them. Our community is in desperate need. Souls that are unsafe. People in desperate bondage of all kinds. But it's so easy to look and become desensitized for a whole range of reasons rather than looking and saying, there's people next to me, people I'm going to pass, people in my workplace, people in my neighborhood. There are people, they're sheep without a shepherd in a desperate state. Heaven moves with compassion. Interesting, a lot of people wait for a vision to do anything. A lot of people wait for a prompting of the Holy Spirit. I found an interesting thing about compassion. 
that whenever Jesus felt compassion, he always moved. He didn't wait for a vision or a word. Compassion itself rising in his heart was an indicator he should do something. Isn't that an interesting thing? That's why you don't want to expose yourself to visual materials or, or, or too much stuff that's going to dull compassion. We need to actually meditate on, you know, I tell you, I, I've gone through and taken the story of the leper and how Jesus uh, ministered to the leper. He was moved with compassion. He didn't just heal him. He touched him and connected with him physically. He was moved by the man's plight. As he looked into the eyes and saw the desperate state, it moved him to connect and do something that you wouldn't normally want to do. That's what compassion does. So he was moved. Heaven moves with compassion. Eh? So uh, are you bound to your plans or bound to your routines or is there room to be moved by compassion? I found, as you'll find most of the time, that the opportunities for compassion come unplanned and they come at inconvenient times. Now, this was an incredibly inconvenient time. If you were talking to the disciples, you'd probably say something like this, hey, guys, you deserve a break. Well, you've been ministering, it's been hard, a lot of people there, been busy, no time to eat, no time to rest, no food or anything like that. You know what, guys, you need a break. Jesus said we should have a break. You know, now the crowd, we need to get rid of the crowd. We need to get rid of needy people. We need to get space for me. So that's what they were, that's exactly what they said too. So notice what it is. God expects initiative, not isolation. And so notice what it is. He saw he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And the day was now spent, verse 35, and the disciples came to him and said, It's a deserted place, and the hour is late. Send them away. They can go to the surrounding country and villages by themselves, bread. They have nothing to eat. Isn't that amazing, eh? Disciples, the disciples looked at them and said, it's not my problem. Get rid of them. Send them away. That word to send away literally is the word divorce. And nothing to do with them anymore. Break off connection with them. Get rid of them. We don't want to get involved. We've had enough. We want to look after ourselves. We don't want to get involved. So it's not my problem. People buy for themselves. They can look after themselves. They got themselves in that mess, didn't think to bring along any food. Why don't they get themselves out of the mess? This is the spirit of the age, is to preserve self and have little room for compassion for anyone else. Whereas God's design is that we plan margins in our life for compassion. Have you ever thought of planning into your time room for the spontaneous so there's room for compassion? Of planning into your finance room for compassion? of setting aside finance just deliberately aside so there's room for compassion. So when you move, you actually have provision. I know there's some in the church already doing that. They have a special amount. Sometimes it's small, it's maybe bigger, but it's just even if it's a little amount, but it's set aside just for compassion. So if there's a plight of a person comes up, they can then be moved and actually can do something to minister in compassion. But if you spend all your money and live right till the max, you've got no room for financial compassion. If you book up your week and make your schedule so tight, it's so full that there's no space, there's no room for compassion. And if you fill your mind up with other things, there's no room in your heart for compassion. God wants us to make room for compassion for people. Hey, okay? got the idea. So notice what Jesus said, hey, you give them something. God expects you to take initiative. You say, well, look at the crowd. It's too big a problem. Man, the city's too big. 
Now notice what he said, he didn't say feed the crowd. He didn't say fix all their problems. He said, you do something. Do something. Do something about the harvest of souls. Do something. Do something. You do something. Don't just send them away and say, it's not my role. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to. He said, do something. Do something. Or send them away. Let someone else work up. No, no. You do something. I believe a word God is speaking to us in relationship to the harvest now said he is, you do something. Do something. You say, well, what can I do? Well, that's exactly what the disciples I said, what can we do? You know, they get rid of them, you know. He said, you give them something. That's what he said. You give them something. So what do you have to give? You see, they look and they think, well, it, you know, look, even if, we, even if we went out and spent 200, you know, denarii of bread, you know, we'd never be able to feed the whole crowd. It's too big a problem. We can't do it. Well, that problem, that person's too hard to get saved. That marriage problem's too big. That, that situation on this is too big. It's too big, it's too big, too big, too big, too big. He said, you give Something. Say, give something. Just give something. Say, give something. God expects us to take initiative. Young people, you got unsafe friends. Give them something. You see, I found that God doesn't work in a vacuum. God always requires something to work with. He can take the something and make it a big thing. He can take something that's not big and make it very big. I look over the years of what God's done through us as a church. It's not a large church by any, not by global sake, anyway. Not a large church at all. But God has done big things. But it always came on us giving something. Okay? So right now, millions of people are being impacted because we gave something. We couldn't do the whole thing, but we can give something. And so he, say, he says to the disciples, just give something. You get something. Get involved. Don't say it's too big. Take initiative. Don't isolate. Now, when we isolate, when we draw back from the needs of people, we're not flowing in compassion. We're walking against the flow of the Spirit. See, so, so, what, so notice what he said. Well, what do you have? That's the thing that God asks all the way through the Bible. Moses, he says, Moses, uh, I got a big plan. It's a big, big, big plan. I got a whole nation, four million people to get rescued here. And man, I'm sending you. He said, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. But, but, but come on, all the excuses. He said, in the end, he said, what do you got in your hand? I got a staff, a staff, not even a weapon. Hey, you're talking here about an army, the biggest army in the world. All I got to shepherd stuff. He said, that's okay. I'll use that to do my miracles. Elijah came to the woman, and, uh, and she's got nothing. She's about to, I said, what do you have in the house? Not much, I just got a pot of oil. That'll do. Bring it out. And you see, this is part of the problem. Don't judge yourself that you've got nothing. Don't judge yourself that you're not spiritual. Don't judge yourself that you're not gifted. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your life? What do you have to make available for harvest? What do you have to give? Give that. So they said, well, we don't really have much, you know. <laughs> so he said, well, okay, let's have a look. And now notice what he did, and you'll see some real keys for a miracle. The first key is that compassion, when compassion is felt, we must do something. I, I was um, uh, talking to a, a pastor recently in America, and um, he took his daughter on a trip to India. 
and she was, I think, uh, somewhere around about 16. She was at school. And God touched her when she was there, and she saw the plight of these young India children. And she said, Dad, I've got a dream to build a school. And he almost dismissed it. He said, well, that, I said, he said well, how much is that going to cost? He said, it'll cost thousands. He said, yep, I got it all sussed out. It'll take 20,000 US dollars to build the school. I have a vision to build the school because God's moved on my heart for those children that haven't got a school like I'm used to being in. And he was moved with compassion. She was. So anyway, come back. So he just zipped his lip, fortunately. He didn't shut down what, what she had. Didn't sell it. Well, you know, you only have to school to get $20,000. So she came home, and she went to a bank, took out $200, all she had, a whole savings, took the whole lot out, and then made it available for this school. And someone heard about her doing it. They said, what are you doing? So she shared the vision. She said, oh, that'd be fantastic. Why don't you come talk to our church about it? So she came down to a church, talked to the church, and they, they were, it's quite a big church. They were so impressed, they took up an offering, and they put it on their television program. And, of course, then this pastor said, goodness me, my daughter's got a vision, and it's on some other church's television program. We need to have it on ours. So he put it on their program as well. And before you know it, money started to trickle and trickle and trickle in. At the end of it, she raised $20,000 U.S. and built the school. You see, now, she didn't have $20,000. She had compassion for two hundred. dollars what do you have for 200? Made it available with the compassion. And God moved. See, we, we tend to look at how big the problem is and how hard it is, and we tend to think it can't be done, and then we isolate or draw back. God wants us to have compassion. So, well, I can, what can I do? I'd say, what can I give? And so, I'll tell you one other story. Most. So, in other words, Jesus, the, the things that are the keys in this is very simple. Here they are. Number one, compassion. If without compassion, we'll never do anything much. If we do it, it's done out of duty. We need God, ask God to fill your heart with compassion. So we're going to pray for people. Let God birth compassion in your heart. Reach out into the stories and meditate on stories where Jesus moved with compassion. Dwell on them and think. Ask God to fill your heart with a compassion for lost people. So you don't see them as being, oh, I've got to be on the defensive for my Christian faith, and they're the enemy. No, you see them through the eyes of the Lord, future souls for heaven on the way, just waiting for the breakthrough. Eh? And the second thing you notice is that Jesus got them to take uh, what they had and make what they had available. As soon as they did that, then he did, he created expectation. He got everyone to like, now notice what it says, he set them down in, uh, in groups. He set them down there and commanded them to set them all down in groups. That word groups means literally table groups or table parties. So he actually got them all set up into table parties and built the expectation to eat. Now, this is, you know, when you look, when you don't have much, and you, you nevertheless, he's acting as though it's all about. Then here's the key thing. He looked up to heaven. See, most of us look to ourselves, or we look to the church, or we look to someone somewhere to come through, rather than looking to the place where there's no poverty, where there is abundance, to look to God and see what God can do. You see, when you're looking at yourself, you'll always come up short. You know, one simple key I have learned in ministry to people. This is an interesting one. You get, you get a person, and, and it doesn't really matter who the person is. So, Steve, just come on over here. And since you're nearest to me, just hold my hand. There's right now. now. Now, if I come to minister to her and to release something to her, if I think about how little I have, nothing flows. Because the key ingredient for the flow of God 
is compassion. And if I think about my, I need someone behind me, she's going to get something in a moment. If I think about myself and think about my lacks and think how little I have and wonder whether God's going to come through, I'll just freeze up in my spirit and shut down. But if I will consciously turn my eyes to heaven and begin to meditate on the abundance and bigness of God and how great He is, begin to see what He can do, something starts to flow straight away. And I have trained myself whenever I pray for people, get your eyes off whatever their need is and get your eyes on the source and stay there until you feel God moving. And so what Jesus did was He looked up to heaven. And that word look up, it can mean just to look up like that in the air. It can also mean to recover your sight. As in a blind man, sing again. Or someone who could only see need getting a different vision. You've got to see that God's a big God. Otherwise you'll just listen to all the stuff about how bad the world is, how bad the economy is, how bad everything is, and then eyes off Jesus, your eyes will be on yourself, you'll withdraw, isolate, and shut down. We've got to learn to keep our eyes fixed on Him. So He got the expectation of the crowd, He, he built expectation, He set His eyes on heaven, and then when He got His eyes on heaven, then He blessed what He had. That means He spoke over it. Now a lot of Christians find this hard to do. But you need to speak over yourself. To bless means to speak well of. Don't say, I can't. I've got nothing. Start to change your confession. Speak. I am blessed. I have abundance. God is upon my life. As I go, wherever I go, the blessing of God goes with me. You've got to learn to speak over yourself. Speak over your finances. Speak over your marriage. Speak over your family. Speak over your business. Learn to speak. Because speaking is how things are released from the Spirit into the earth. So he looked to heaven and engaged God, and then he spoke, and something happened. He spoke what? He spoke over the bread. He spoke over what he had. He spoke over the little, and then they just began to give out and do the best they could. And in giving out and doing the best they could, it started to grow and grow and grow. And then it tells us there, if you finish the story, and I'll finish it right now, it says they gathered up 12 baskets of fragments. Now, why do they say that? There's a number of reasons. I'll just give you one. The number 12 always speaks of government. And it's a picture, whenever there's number 12 in the Bible, it's always the government of God. So it's always a picture of the kingdom. What he's saying is, the kingdom of God is unlimited. When you have the governments of God over your life and over your affairs, it's unlimited what can be done through you. Secondly, it says, 5,000 people were fed. Why did they take time to say 5,000? That was just the men. They didn't include the woman for some reason. But they, Why did they just use 5,000? Because the number 5 always is a picture in the Bible or used to typify the grace or empowerment of God. So when we look up to heaven and get our eyes on God and make what we have available for His kingdom, His kingdom is without limit and His grace comes and enables us to do more than we think possible. Far more than we think possible. And look at Bill. You see how, how Bill has had an accident, and struggles with that. But you know something? I've watched him take the little every year, just go into China. I got a letter from China, and they were saying, what a blessing Bill and Glenda have been over 170 trips 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Bibles and multitudes of people impacted by this man. If you ask him, he say, I don't have very much. But I tell you, he's made his little count. And you know, it's great, it's great, but there's lots of others who have done these things too. I know many others in the church have done just the same thing. Maybe one, one more story. There was a guy, a uh, pastor of a church, and uh, he noticed there was one guy in the church who wasn't involved doing anything, just a barely came along, he came about once a month. And they thought, I wonder what's up with the guy. So he got to talk with the guy for a little bit, and the guy said, yeah, I just come once a month. And he said, well, look, I'll tell you what, I've got a lady here who lives where you, where you are, could you transport her to church on that one Sunday a month? It would mean a lot to her, she's a widow, no means of support. Could you transport her to the church? He said, yeah, I'd love to. So he did it, and uh, they began to chitter, chatter, chitter, chatter. Once a month he took it. They went on for about a year, once a month, once a month, once a month, once a month. Three Sundays he's home, once a month he comes, he takes her. And she loved it, and she just talked all about the Lord and talked about it. And then he thought, well, you know, I'm quite enjoying this conversation. I might go twice a month. So he went twice a month. And, uh, and she just chatted to him and, bless, and just chitter-chatted and chitter-chatted and talked about Jesus and blessed him. And, you know, well, you know, I might just go each week now. And so next thing he goes, going each week. And he's not just taking her. He said, well, I might take someone else. I've got the car coming. I might as well pick up someone else as well. So in the end, he started to get a carload. And so week after week, he was coming with a carload. And these women were all chitter-chatter and excited about Jesus. Thank God for what had happened. And very excited. Now, you see, it looked like it was nothing much. It was very, very little. But you know what? That guy now runs the biggest transportation ministry in that church, a very large church in America, and he tra he's in charge of the transport of hundreds upon hundreds of people to church every Sunday. And it just come from one little thing saying, well, I'm coming on Sunday. I might as well just make room for someone to come with me. Just the littlest thing grew. Now, here's the thing in the kingdom. Little is how it works. It always works with a seed. Don't despise your little. I think it was, it was a Barbara doing those thing. The, the, what was it you were baking? Lemon honey. And then she's doing lemon honey, and suddenly someone just drops some money in for the lemon honey. And, but John and Uganda are so appreciative of what the little bottles of lemon honey are doing in Uganda. It's like everyone has something. What do you have? Lift your eyes to the harvest and begin to let God move on you so you take what you have to harvest, to see people touched. I don't know what you've got. Figure out what you've got. Look in your house. Look inside and see what you've got. What have you got? Well, don't say I haven't got much Bible knowledge. I haven't got much of this. What have you got? You've got a house? Open your house. You've got a car? someone somewhere. You've got a little bit of money? Well, share a meal with someone. You haven't got much food? Well, just divide it in two and share it with someone. You know, whatever you've got, take what you have and give it something anyway. That is how the kingdom advances. What a great lesson the disciples learned that day. How would they ever know that today they're going to have a creative miracle? How would you know when all you can see is lack and you just so that you're about to see a creative miracle? They had no warning it was coming. It was compassion started it off. Let's ask God to fill our hearts with compassion. There's someone you could be compassionate on, someone who's in need. Why don't you figure out what you could do? And say, what have you got? What have you got? I'd love to ask some of you next year and get some of the family elders asking, well, who are you moving in? What compassion is moving in your heart? And what are you doing with the compassion in your heart? And who are you moving to reach out to? Who are you moving to touch? Who are you moving to help? See, does it even as a pastor, I'm, I'm not past just the simple acts of compassion. See, these are foundational to the kingdom. 
acts of compassion. Isn't it interesting? For all Jesus' big ministry and all the disciples' great big things, he still required them not to isolate, but to show compassion and give something to solve the problem. That couldn't necessarily solve the whole problem, but you can do something to solve someone's problem. Father, we just thank you for the great things you're going to do in 2012. We thank you for all that you have done in this last year. I thank you for breakthroughs, for lives changed. I thank you for many people touched. We thank you for the great work that's taken place through Bay City and the nations of the earth, and work in Uganda, work in China, work in Pakistan. We'll never know till eternity what we did, but it was just lots of little things coming together to make something really big happen. And I thank you, Lord, for all that we've done and all we've been able to do last year. I thank you for the people in this church who've contributed in so many ways, done little acts of kindness, shown hospitality, reached out to befriend people, have communicated with someone in their time of need, shown love and care when someone was in need. Lord, the little acts of compassion. May they increase in 2012. May that spirit of compassion so rest on us that every one of us will be saying, what have I got in my house? What have I got that I can give? I want to do something. I want to do something to advance the kingdom of God. I want to do something to win a soul. I want to do something to help a person. I want to do something to build the house of God for a great house that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And Lord, we will give you all the honor. We can never, never outgive you with the gifts you gave us. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give a lot of shout, shall we? Let's rise and just finish our year magnificently. Our last Sunday service, no Sunday service next week. Have a little one in your own home. If you really need to go to church, go to some other church then. Be fine. They'll have a great service, I'm sure. We're all going to be having time with family and enjoying family and loving on one another and praying for one another and eating together and celebrating. You do the same. And then New Year's Day, we're here. So bring your hangover here. And don't forget tonight. Don't forget tonight. Bring your hangover here on New Year's Day. We'll cast the devil out of you. Loudly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All of that. But come tonight. Bring a friend. Come on. Let's stand and for the final song, shall we? Oh, on your knees. Oh,
stay on, come back tonight, bring friends, we're going to have a great time. And don't forget the supper afterwards. Sergeant, anything else you need to remember? Ten people to stay on and help us for tonight. Oh, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Stay on and help us for tonight, okay? God bless. And down there, men's survey, I see the men. want to find out what's up with men. So we want to just come along. If you haven't filled in a survey, just write in what... Yeah, you'll find it real easy to fill in. Praise the Lord. Why don't we do... Oh. Jingle Bell Rock, come on.